0: The following presentation is part of the six-week Introduction to Mindfulness Meditation class offered at Common Ground Meditation Center in Minneapolis, Minnesota. The speaker is Mark Nunberg, Guiding Teacher at Common Ground. Make sure you've done what you can to support your body. As you probably have learned by now, we learned quite a bit just working with physical pain, but as we settle into sitting posture... We'll do a short sit now and then a longer sit later. It's really appropriate to start of a basic compassion. Do what you can to cultivate a comfortable posture for the body. Stability really helps because when the body feels like it has a nice base and the spine arises out of that relatively solid base, then... There doesn't need to be as much physical or muscular effort to maintain the posture. So the spine, in a sense, is one vertebra resting on the one below it. And then the head rests on the spine in a balanced way. And the nose in line with the navel and the ears over the shoulders. Hands are resting in the lap or on the legs in a symmetrical way. We allow the belly to soften out, we allow the eyes to relax. They can close lightly or they can remain open, gazing softly toward the floor in front. And we've been practicing this simple body scan meditation just so we are learning different mindfulness techniques so let's begin that very simple body scan meditation so we allow the attention to open and receive the ordinary sensations at the top of the head in a sense we're letting awareness soak in and even if the sensations here at the top of the head are nondescript there is in fact a natural sensitivity to these sensations including now both sides of the head and both ears simply receiving knowing the sensations at the back of the head feeling the air the skin of the forehead, and any sensations below the surface, any tension, even the experience of vibration, feel the temples, and any sensations in the brow. Feeling all the different sensations in the eyes, any tension, any movement. Feel the skin of the face and the air touching the skin of the face. And any tension below the skin, tension in the jaw, for example, Feeling the movement of the breath wherever that can be felt. Noticing the teeth and gums, the tongue, the lips. We're not afraid to inhabit the experience of the face and the head together now. Not expecting the sensations to be any particular way. Instead, just receiving the way it is now in the head and the face, allowing these sensations to be opening to the throat the neck sides of the neck, back of the neck down into the tops of the shoulders as well (coughs) in a very real sense we're dropping the world of worry and planning and this and that. And part by part, learning how to absorb, how to include, to be intimate with the sensations of the body in each of these places. So the neck, the throat, and tops of the shoulders, shoulder joints. Allowing the sensations to be, even if they are unpleasant. Feeling both arms, the biceps, the underarms, all of the places of touching, places of contact, even the contact of the sleeves touching the skin. The bend of the elbows. Opening, receiving all the sensations down through the arms, through the wrists, back to the hands and fingers, the palms. In the most simple way, Remembering the experience of contact, of full presence with the vibration or sensation of physicality. We'll come down to the trunk, the torso, opening to the top, third of the torso, the upper chest and the upper back, collarbones. Feeling the upper part of the rib cage, slowly down. Feel both the shoulder blades and the upper spine, and the mid chest, the breasts, and breastbone. Sides of the ribs. Feeling the lower ribs, diaphragm into the solar plexus and kidney areas of the back, down into the lower back and the back of the hips and all the abdominal organs and the musculature here, skin, feel the clothes making contact with the torso and all the different places. So both the surface and then, of course, any sensations inside the trunk of the body, down into the lower third, so the lower back and the back of the buttocks, the lower spine, and the lower abdomen, the pubic bone, the groin, all the way down to the floor of the pelvis, just as it is structure the hips. We take a few moments and simply feel the entire trunk. So in a simple way, we're making peace with the experience of the body part by part, allowing or acknowledging that it's like this now. So from the hip sockets opening to both legs, the thighs, the knees, the calves and shins, ankles, sides and tops of the feet. bottoms of the feet and toes. So for the next three minutes or so, let's practice being intimate with the body just as it is, relaxed as much as possible, still, interested, And we're allowing the sensations to present themselves, in a sense, here in the space of awareness. So there aren't, we don't need expectations, just allow the body sensations to present themselves. Everything belongs. Getting a sense of what an unconditional acceptance is like. last minute. Noticing if you can the effortlessness of this body awareness. The mind is naturally sensitive to the body. Finally noticing how wholesome it is to be mindful, to be intimate, to be accepting Welcome back, everyone. Normally, during week four, I talk a little bit about the inevitable and appropriate distractions or obstacles that arise, both informally as we have this intention to be mindful during the day, and then during those formal times of practice, you know, where we sit down for 30 minutes or 45 minutes or 15 minutes, and we have this specific intention to be relaxed and still and present, and like, what gets in the way? And so much of the actual learning that arises when we take up the practice is we're learning what gets in the way with the intention to be mindful. Like, why is it so challenging To have the continuity of mindfulness. It's just interesting, isn't it, how important things seem when we're sitting. Like to worry about this or to think about that or to get obsessive about body pain, needing to fix things. We learn so much. I mean, this is uh, such a powerful education to be... Just the basic form of our practice to find a comfortable way to sit and to be relatively still as much as we can and relaxed and interested. Just that container is such an education. And it's interesting how much we avoid it. <laughs> I mean, it's a little weird. You might even find it difficult that people ask you what you're doing on Tuesday nights to explain it like why do you do that? I mean, now at least it's in the news and people talk about mindfulness meditation all the time. It wasn't always so, but even though it's talked about all the time doesn't mean people do it. Or a common thing is to think we're doing it. So one of the nice things about the actual form, just to encourage people now that we're in the middle of the class to stick with the form, if not every day, almost every day, putting aside some time. Everybody has some time, right? So that means everyone does it, and don't think, oh, I only have a couple of minutes. No, well then, you only have a couple of minutes, but do it for the couple of the minutes that you have. But we're putting aside this formal time, because it's in that container, that basic form of the practice where Okay, where is a quiet place? What's a time in my day that's relatively, I can be alone or I can tell people to leave me alone. I can convince my dog to be in the other room. And I sit down and the phone is off. The computer is off. And we're creating, It's a, this is an ancient human ritual. This is not something, a new invention where people have remove themselves from their duties and responsibilities for a short period of time or a longer period of time and cultivated this noble posture. Like, okay, I'm not going to go in a lazy boy, but I'm going to sit right in the middle of my experience. I'm going to sit in a way that encourages fearless presence, relaxed, fearless presence, I'm going to cultivate an interest, a sense, a very powerful sense that this moment is relevant. You know, one of the great tragedies in life is that we continuously cultivate the idea that this moment ain't it. And then if we ever get lucky to have a moment that is it, we've got a strong habit in the mind that says, this ain't it either. (laughs) Because we've been doing that all day long, all life long, but this ain't it. Oh, will be so much nicer when. And even when we get to those so-called nice moments, it's like, yeah, but it will be even better if, or I hope it doesn't go away. We just have this strong tendency not to land. So the whole ritual of our daily sitting practice, we're creating this ritual of landing, coming into the moment. And then here's the key, and this I'll dig into this a little bit, and then we'll do another set. So we're landing in the present moment, we're sort of using the ritual, like you take a chair and you put it some corner in your apartment or your home, and you declutter that little corner. Or maybe if you're rich, you have your own room, you know, and you got a big, big place or whatever, and you can dedicate a room for the practice, but that's not likely for most of us. But everyone has a place, whether it's a chair in front of a window or a cushion somewhere, in some obscure corner of your living room or bedroom. You make it relatively simple. Some of you might want to even have an altar. Don't feel like you have to have an altar. But whatever works for you, basically. Whatever creates a sense of safety and whatever reminds you of your deeper intention or aspiration for your life. Like, I really like to be free. I'd like to be happy. I'd like to be at ease. I'd like to be unafraid. I'd like to be really awake and present. I'd like to have a heart that's not afraid to love unconditionally or not afraid to see things as they are. So you, then we, we look like it. whatever you might put there in that space, a picture or flower or whatever it might be, somehow it's helping your mind remember this aspiration to be free, to be alive, connected, And free in that connection. Not having to close down or shut down. So I'm kind of making a big deal of this because I'm really looking in the not too distant future when this class will be over. And we have to start digging some roots. So if you're starting to feel like, this practice makes a lot of sense. And your direct experience with it is, I'm learning a lot about my heart, about my mind in this practice. Then you're going to want to start digging some roots so that it's becoming part of your routine, part of your life, something you're likely to keep doing. If you push too hard, too imposing, I should be sitting an hour a day, there tends to be that rubber band effect where you kind of get some success, but it can't be sustained and then you drop the whole thing. So what we're really looking for is balance. Doing something that makes sense in your current conditions with your responsibilities and other things going on. And then your direct experience, your success with it, the value you feel coming from it inspires you to shift your priorities so you have a little bit more time and then to develop your practice in that way. And the other reason I'm making a big deal about kind of creating a ritual around it or a form or shape. Time, when it makes sense. Now, some of you, you know, have erratic schedules, but a lot of you have regular, you know, routines, and so you can just find a time so that the mind sort of expects, oh yeah, it's this time, this is what I do at this time. This is when I brush my teeth, this is when I feed the body, and this is when I do my sitting meditation. It just becomes part of your daily routine. It doesn't feel like you know, kind of like some of us wouldn't go to bed without brushing our teeth, or wouldn't wake up without brushing our teeth. You know It just wouldn't feel right, or, you know, skipping a meal just wouldn't feel right. It's, and it can be that same way with the meditation practice, like, "Oh, I forgot to put on my pants today," or "I forgot to sit this morning." And it's sort of we feel a little naked, like, "Oh, how can I squeeze that back in? Where, where that, might that make sense? Even if we can't sort of get back to where we made that, you know, choice—that sort of unconscious choice—oh, sure, it's good, but not today. Then we go, oh no, no, I really want to dig this groove deeply into the mind, and we have to do that with all of the wholesome habits. It has to be a deep groove, not out of fear, like I'll be bad if I don't sit in the morning, but a This is what's really meant by devotion, devotional energy. It's like we get something from the love. We have love for the practice because it supports us. You know, we all know from our own life that there are a lot of things we try to make ourselves do that may in fact be good for us, but we don't end up doing it for long. But what really helps us take on a new... Pattern is not that we're telling ourselves parentally to do it because it's good for us, but we're actually paying attention and we're seeing that it's good for us. Like, I don't know. I don't have to tell myself, you should go home and cook yourself a nice meal. I have experienced so many days in my life the direct, immediate experience of eating well to know that I want to do that. I'm like motivated and unless it's a very you know unique day where I can't squeeze that in, I usually find some way to have a healthy meal every day because it feels good and we want the same relationship with our set. So the other piece of it then is sort of setting ourselves up that we want enough of a routine so that when our practice becomes really challenging and It's already probably, for a lot of you, challenging, and we tend to go through cycles where the sitting, you know, our daily sits are relatively smooth, and there's, you know, a lot of calm, a lot of peace, even some deeper states of peace and joy can arise, so really the sort of wholesome fireworks of practice can arise for some people for periods of time, but inevitably we'll cycle through really difficult times, and here's the thing. Just because you're cycling through a difficult time in your practice doesn't mean you're a bad meditator or that you've made a mistake. It's just sometimes it's really challenging and sometimes it's really easy. It's like that with intimate relationships too, isn't it? You know, sometimes it's like a joy to be in the relationship with this other person and sometimes it's like really hard to be in a relationship with another person. Sometimes it's a joy to have this body and sometimes it's not a joy at all to have this body. You know, like when it's really sick or when I pull the muscle or when, you know, as I start to get older. So we want a routine so that we can really work with the difficult times. Now I want to talk a little bit about that before I sit tonight, about some of the challenges. And then after the sit, it would be really nice to hear from a number of you about all the minor and major obstacles that have arisen now, that we've been practicing for over three weeks. <clears throat> what is it that arises, <coughs> excuse me, that disrupt your practice, that break the continuity of mindfulness, that cause the mind to get caught up in thought, even though the thought, the reactive or whatever the thinking pattern might be, might be very heavy or entangling or disturbing, agitating, Yet we do it. So how did that happen? What have you learned about how the mind makes that choice that leads to this, let's just call it, unskillful mental activity? How does that happen? And how does the mind drop it or abandon it and come back to a sense of balance, clarity, relaxation, interest, joy, equanimity. These are the beautiful qualities of mind that support the continuity of mindful awareness. So more than anything now, that's our curriculum. So we've got the form, you know, we sit every day, we have this particular time, let's say, in this particular place, and this particular way I use, kind of find my posture, and this particular technique, like I bring my attention to the breath, or I bring my attention generally to the experience of the body sitting, or I bring my attention to hearing, I connect, I sustain that awareness. Distraction arises in a wise and gentle way, a return, reconnect, sustain, breathing in, breathing out. If uh, there's a persistent disturbance, I take a look at it. Oh, what's this? Oh, it's just worry. It's just worry. Worry is being known. Well, can that be Okay. So we've got our basic form, our basic structure for the practice, and um, we have our instruction. We're not expecting the practice, right, to be pleasant or unpleasant. Instead, we're told sometimes it's pleasant, sometimes it's neutral, and sometimes it's unpleasant. And in a way, to be truthful, some of the times when it's unpleasant, it's more unpleasant than anything is in our life. Because a lot of the times when we're experiencing really difficult things, we allow ourselves to distract ourselves. You know, we stub our toe and it's really painful. You know, we allow ourselves to scream and swear. And that sort of seemingly distracts us a little bit from the pain. It doesn't really make the pain go away we just have this sort of big thing going on, me being angry at myself for stubbing my toe, and I'm knowing that, which is itself unpleasant, but it makes my mind less aware of the pain, the throbbing, aching pain in the toe. But when we're sitting and something difficult arises, well, there we are with a very balanced, clear, relaxed, receptive presence. So we've Intentionally put all the defenses down. the gates are wide open, the heart is exposed right i, I don 't know if I mentioned it to this group, but i I like to bring to mind because I had these statues as a kid. I grew up as a Catholic with the hearts. Do you know you remember seeing these icons? Well, I had two statues, Saint Francis and Saint Joseph, with their hearts sitting out of their bodies, you know, broad and exposed and that 's a little bit like the experience of mindfulness meditation when we've got some momentum in our practice there's a powerful sense of sensitivity a real presence. That's what presence is. It's like we're tuning into the natural sensitivity and what is the mind or the heart sensitive to? What's well, sensitive to thought? Sensitive to emotion? Sensitive to sound and sight and taste and smell and touch? And we can practice so that all defenses are put down. So it's like nothing but this great orb of sensitivity, totally receptive, totally unguarded, knowing whatever. And you see, the only thing that protects us is wisdom, the wisdom that understands it's just a sensation, it's just an emotion, it's just a thought, it's just a sound, it's just a sight, it's just a smell or taste. It's just that, it's just the nature of these phenomena to come and go according to their own causes and conditions. And so in a sense, it's being transparent or being porous. And we're just letting the natural movement of sense experience to come and go. Sense experience including thought or mental activity. Everything is allowed to come and go. So that's the real challenge is like even knee pain can we let that come and go or restlessness or boredom or itch things like this are really interesting because when we get a little tickle or itch on the face on one level we know it's not going to kill us but on the other level it's really hard to stay in the posture you know we just so much and and it's like uh, You know, it's nice sitting in a group because we're a little less likely to move. And we learn a lot. The stillness in practice is a really good teacher. Now, I'm not saying you should never move, but don't move with the first impulse to move or the second or third or even the fourth impulse to move because probably the trigger for that impulse to move your body, to scratch the itch or stretch out your leg or to do whatever you're doing, probably those sensations are tolerable. You know, if you sustain that loving, that kind, that clear presence with that, it's probably okay not to move in this second. And you're not saying you'll never move. If you tell yourself you're never going to move, you're going to immediately move. It's like it will trigger sort of a primal survival instinct like, Oh, I can't take this. It's too much. Like we're claustrophobic. But if instead, the, not that you would use this, these words in your mind, but instead if you're saying something like, Honey, how about we're just here for one more breath? Breathing in, feeling what we're feeling. Breathing out, feeling what we're feeling. Breathing in, allowing the body, the body sensations to be the way they are. Breathing out, allowing the sensations to be the way they are. We're really learning that Things can come and go. And it's the same with strong emotion. We don't necessarily need to do anything. One of the neatest things in practice, so this is good for your daily life, but also your formal sits. But I'll just, and this would be great to check in with next week, get really interested in desire, strong desire that might arise. Like the desire for chocolate at 3 o'clock in the afternoon, You know, which is not uncommon for people. Oh, I deserve. I've been working hard, or whatever. I didn't have dessert for lunch, and we could just go, you know, and buy a candy bar or something like that, or promise ourselves dessert for dinner or whatever. But what might be more interesting is just to observe that the desire. And we're not saying we are going to get chocolate or we're not going to get chocolate. We're just leaving it in an open question right now. But what we're really interested in. What happens to desire when it's not gratified and not fed? The mind doesn't proliferate around it. We're just observing the force of desire, the force of attraction. Does it cease on its own without fulfilling it, without giving into it? Same with the itch on the face. Does that itch and the desire to scratch that itch cease? or you want to plan, but you know that you want to plan. Oh, can I just feel that? It's almost like an energetic leaning, oh, I really like to think about what I'm going to do tomorrow. But instead of actually thinking and proliferating around that particular thing you've got planned tomorrow, you just come back and you notice the fear, like almost like I'm exposed, I'm vulnerable because I'm not figuring it out. Well, maybe you can figure it out later, honey. Maybe this is okay to be okay knowing that that part of your life hasn't been planned. Can you be okay with that feeling? So basically, we're learning to be okay with vulnerability. And what what can really help in stabilizing the mind when things are challenging is strategic use of a technique called mental noting or mental labeling. And you've heard me do it, although I haven't talked directly about it, so you might have picked up on it already. But it's really okay, strategically, to make a mental note. And it's as if you're putting a frame around what's happening. So if there is a lot of desire arising, formally when you're meditating or informally during the day, why not see if it's useful? It won't always be useful, but see if it's useful at times to just say, oh, Desiring. This is craving. This is the experience of craving being known. Or can that be okay? So you're not labeling in order to judge what's arising in your experience. You're labeling it or naming it in order to put, in a sense, a frame around it to help illuminate what it actually is. Oh, it's just this mental activity of judging. It's just this mental activity of wanting. Just this activity of imagining, oh, if only I had that, I'd be happy. I'd be happier. So you're just seeing that as a phenomenon. Instead of believing it as some personal truth, hey, that's true. I would be happier if I had that or if I got rid of that. But just to see that as a mental activity that in this moment is being known is really a, a profound shift. So in our sit tonight, you might just experiment a few times with mental noting so you have a sense of how it works so that then you can use it during the day. And it's a really good time to explore it when things are charged and you don't know what's going on, then just invite your mind to name what you do recognize. Okay, there is a mind and body, so let's just name a few things. Okay, touching, feet making contact with the floor, that's touching. Touching is being known. Seeing is being known. Hearing Mark's voice is being known. Tension in the knee is being known. Ease in the body is being known. So we can just start labeling or naming some of the predominant experience. And it's really grounding. And it really helps prevent the main obstacle for practice is a strong sense that I should be thinking about something. I need to do that now. That it's some extreme danger to not be thinking about this or planning that or worrying about or comparing or analyzing. Or So is it actually dangerous to put down... Nobody's saying that thinking is not functional. I mean, clearly there is a place for thinking both in our meditation practice, but just generally in life. Thinking is a very useful tool. It's just way, way overused, and <clears throat> so overused that we feel threatened when we're not thinking about something. because it Not because it's dangerous, but because it's unfamiliar. The quiet mind is scary. I, I remember reading once Ajahn Samedha, one of my favorite teachers. He's a Western Buddhist monk one of the senior Buddhist monks in the, from the Ajahn tradition. And uh, he says somewhere in one of his books, we all like the idea of peace and equanimity, but the actual experience of peace and equanimity initially might not feel so safe or feel like, oh, this isn't what I signed up for. Because we're used to, you know, the... Drama. And you know why we know this is true? It's just if we're really honest with ourselves, like if we could just sort of step back and observe what we're doing with our mind. Or I often joke, like imagine I said, okay, tonight, you know, we're going to, I've got the video footage of everything that would happen in your mind over the last seven days, and we've had a very skillful editor edit it. And for tonight's class, we're going to be observing it, you know. And we would just see in living color like how the mind, one moment after another, basically gravitated towards some self-drama, one self-drama after another. Oh, I'm really good at this. That's a self-drama. Oh, I'm not very good at this. I'd rather be at home. I wonder what my partner's doing. What are my cats doing? You know, is it going to snow tonight? I mean, all of these little and big dramas, it's like the mind the thinking mind, the neurotic mind, you know what it does? It fills space with mental activity. It just fills space. And most of our economy is about filling space, like filling up the space of our lives with activity. I was thinking about buying a friend of mine a ping pong table because he really likes ping pong, and he's thinking about building a house and wanted to get a housewarming gift. And then I was looking at Craig's list and there's like all these different kinds of ping pong tables. And and then there's electronic ping pong tables and I mean it's even something you think is relatively simple and specific is complicated because like there's always a, a twist or a turn or a and it's true, like kitchen gadgets is another one of those places or Restaurants, there's always a new this fusion and that fusion, and you know, this ethnic food and that ethnic food, and it's amazing. And this is a manifestation of the mind that's not okay settling. Sharon Salzberg and others have used a very beautiful metaphor of being on a tightrope. So as in metaphor for life, any moment of our life is like being on a tightrope. We're there and we're balancing. That's that's a nice piece of this metaphor that takes a certain balance, right? And then things constantly are happening when we're there on the tightrope. Sometimes scary things happen, and then we get averse, and we lose our balance, and we fall. And sometimes beautiful things arise, and we lean forward and lose our balance and fall. And sometimes nothing's happening, we get bored space out and fall. But we always land on another tightrope. Right? It's just the next moment. We're right there back on the tightrope. And so the question is, can we learn how to not be confused by the unpleasant things that arise and the beautiful things that arise and the ordinary neutral things that arise? That is the whole path the Buddha taught. The path of Not being confused by the beautiful or pleasant. Not being confused by the unbeautiful, the unpleasant. And not being confused by the neutral. How to stay balanced, which means mindful, right? Engaged, alert, clear, relaxed, interested. So can we be there no matter what comes? And when we sit in our formal sit, like we're going to do in a few minutes then it's like we have this relatively safe container. We're in a nice place. It's pretty quiet. Every once in a while there's a phone, but mostly it's quiet. And, uh, but we have our mind, our thinking mind, our worrying mind. But that's, you know, we can work with that. So that's like being on the tightrope, and then the mind remembers something that happened today or imagines something that might happen tomorrow or some pain arises in our back or in our knee or in our shoulder or something. So then that's the thing that's arising. And now we're on the tightrope. Well, what happens if I just allow this thing to arise? Maybe I can include the pain or the thought or the emotion. So it's not about pushing things away, but it's also not about holding on to things. So just because we're allowing the thought to be a thought doesn't mean we have to do anything with that thought. I could think another thought because of that thought. So can we allow thought and emotion to arise without it being the cause for another thought or emotion? Can we allow sensations to arise or a sound from a motorcycle to arise without it being the cause for another thing, like an opinion about that sound? So we're basically allowing the phenomena of our lives, sounds and sights and thoughts and emotion and sensations, we're allowing them to naturally appropriately arise in the space of awareness to be known, because we are sensitive, so things are going to be known, without the mind compulsively feeling like it has to do something because that experience is being known. So instead of trying to stop thoughts, try to be skillful with the thoughts that are arising. Well, that's just a thought. That's just an emotion being felt. That's just a mood. Oh, so the heart's a little depressed. Or the mind and heart is a little restless. The body's a little all over the place, tight. Well, can that be okay? So in a sense, we're creating space. And this is where the noting or labeling can be useful because it just reminds you that, it's just a way of reminding you, I'm on a tightrope, I'm in the present moment, Trusting, doing my best to trust this experience of balanced presence, what we call mindfulness, clear and relaxed presence, accepting, non-interfering awareness. So I'm here in this relaxed, clear place, and things are happening. And I can always come back to my anchor, the breath, let's say, but then even though I'm with the breath, eventually something will interrupt that attention to the breath, and then I have to practice not losing my balance with that phenomena, which is allowing it to express itself, but not feeling I have to do anything because it's expressing itself. And whatever comes next, seeing that, knowing that, and then letting it go away. And then when nothing is strongly predominant, well, we know what to do, just come back to the anchor, the breath, the experience of sitting, the experience of hearing. Okay? Any questions about that? Working with obstacles? And we'll talk together after we sit for about 25 minutes. Yeah. No, no, it's just the opposite because who would be putting the brakes on the emotions? We're not, there isn't that um, interference, right? It's the whole point of this kind, relaxed, clear presence is to just allow things to move, to allow nature to move, the nature of emotions to move, the nature of thought to move, the nature of sensation to move, the nature of sound to move. Everything is given permission to move. And so we're sitting in the middle of all this with our anchor to use as needed to come back to because the mind, over the years of practice, the mind cultivates a very intimate friendship with the breath or whatever your anchor is. So it really knows how to be present with it without controlling it and to really see it and know it as a movement of nature. It has its own lawfulness. Do you need to do the breath? No, the breath is its own it's part of the nature of the body. The body just breathes. That's what it does. And we can know that as a movement of nature. It's very liberating, just that alone, just to be present with the breath alone. But if we get good being with the breath in that way, we can be with any phenomena that way. A despicable thought, a beautiful memory, uh, you know, fear about the future. We can let that come and go in the same way that we can allow an in-breath to come and an outbreath to come and go. So it's not about being flat. People misunderstand the practice. And it's not about not feeling. It's about actually we end up feeling things more clearly, right? Because we're not distracted. We're not trying to control what we feel. We're trying to be free with the emotions instead of hiding from them, repressing them, or indulging in them. It's true we're not indulging in the emotions, we're just seeing what they are. They're just this movement of energy, kind of both physical and mental energy that moves. Good, let's uh, stand for a moment, stretch our legs so you'll be comfortable sitting. Try to be right in your body as you stretch, do whatever you need to do to feel comfortable, release tension, and then when you feel ready, don't rush it. Come back to a comfortable sitting posture. And it's okay if your knees are getting sore. There are chairs that you can use. Don't feel like you have to sit on the floor. You really want to sit in a way that supports the practice Not some image you might have of a meditator. (laughs) It's nice now. A lot of my teachers are getting older and they're using chairs. (laughs) It's okay. Sitting in a comfortable way as best you can. That noble, upright posture, that sense of being right in the middle of everything. So, I'll just give a few instructions during the sit tonight, uh, but mostly it will be in silence now that you've heard many instructions over the last four weeks. Usually useful to take some time to connect with your anchor, finding just the right kind of effort, not too much, not too little. The effort is this continuity or the not forgetting, keeping the present moment in mind and being interested in whatever interrupts the continuity of mindful awareness. The quality of attention is both relaxed, but also clear and continuous. So discerning with this continuity, discerning how things come and go, or that things are coming and going, how the mind unfolds. If the mind gets all entangled, because of the continuity of attention, there's an understanding how that came to be. And when the mind becomes peaceful, there's an understanding how that came to be because of the continuity of awareness. Remember, it's always appropriate to come back to the anchor, to connect, and to sustain attention. So this is the basic training ground in our practice. Being present with the breath or whatever your anchor is does not mean controlling the experience. Being aware as the breath comes in, being aware of the sensations as the breath goes out, allowing there to be this relaxed and clear presence, attention, And then noticing what interrupts that continuity of awareness with the breath. Practice not being confused by the interruptions. Oh, it's just this being known. Now it's like this. Can this be okay? So we'll continue for another few minutes. So feel free to stretch out your legs. And maybe somebody in that corner could turn the top two lights just a little bit more. So they should be about halfway, the top two. Yeah, that's good. Great. So we have about 15 minutes, a little bit less. It might be nice now to hear from people what you've been learning in your practice, any questions that you have. And then specifically the kind of challenges or obstacles that has, have arisen for you. What you did, was it helpful, made it worse? So what comes to mind? What do you have to share? Yeah. So the, the question is what to do with that. So what, what did you do with that when those memories, those details arose? You're on a tightrope. Yeah, it's just thought. And it may be, some of the thoughts are very interesting. And so, well, can that be okay? And it, you know, it's a powerful letting go, like if something interesting comes up, like even something that you brought up, to be able to remember something that you hadn't remembered in a long time. I mean, that's like finding something on the Internet that looks actually interesting. (laughs) And it's not so easy to say, not now. You know, that's not what we're doing now. I'm not against you, but I'm not for you either. So you're already here. You know, that memory has already arisen, those details. But I'm not going to do anything with them. Except the next moment is feeling the attraction to think. You know, that sort of leaning forward. And to notice, because we've done that so many times before, as we're leaning forward... It's like we recognize, I'm going to fall. You know, I'm going to get caught. And I'll disappear into that activity for a while. And I'll end up all entangled. So I don't have to do that. Thanks for bringing that up. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. You know why? Because instead of a moment of being aware that what? You're falling, right? That you've lost your ground you're looking for ground, you're looking for the tightrope. So you have to acknowledge what's actually true, which is the mind's confused, or the mind wants a tightrope. So instead of correcting yourself, acknowledge the way that it is. And if you don't know, then this is where a label can be useful. Oh, it's just this, or it's like this now. right? So the word this is just a... Like you're putting a frame around the way your heart or mind actually is. Oh, it's like this. It's crazy. It's like this. Well, can that be okay? See how stabilizing that is? That's called getting back on the tightrope. Oh, it's just this crazy moment. You know, like, I don't know what the hell's going on. But it's just that, being known. Well, can that be okay? But when we think we have to get back someplace, then it can really spiral out of control. Because the more we try to get back someplace, the less connected we are with the way it is. And so the moment gets more and more confusing because we're certain where we should be and we're completely uncertain about what's actually going on because it doesn't fit our idea. I've got to get back to the present moment. Well, this is the present moment. That's how conf- I mean, it's crazy when you think about it. The present moment is always what's here and now. So we never have to go somewhere for the present moment. If, if you can remember that, that would be very helpful. You never have to go anywhere for the present moment. It's already here. So that's why, like, you don't have to go looking for the tightrope to land on. You're on it. And the question is, what are you doing on it right now? Are you getting caught in greed or aversion or distraction? Or you're aware that it's like this. This is how it is on the tightrope right now. It's never a mistake, you know, because the present moment is always the way it is. It's not really appropriate to say, "No, no." I mean, it, that is the height of arrogance to somehow say to ourselves, "No, this isn't how it's supposed to be now." Like as if we would know, like how the present moment should be. It's a lawful, natural unfolding. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's what's happening right now. I heard what you said, you know, and then it's like uh, if I misunderstand mindfulness, it's like, like I have to free, I can't do anything. But actually, what mindfulness really is, is letting everything be nature. So it's like part of what's here right now is this conditioned mind that has practiced, you know, as much as it's practiced over the years, And so all of these causes and conditions themselves are what are responding right now to your comment. So being mindful doesn't prevent this conditioned mind, this conditioned personality from responding to what you did. Just like you asking the question, that was, you could tell yourself a story that I asked that question But it was a movement of nature, like all of that, whatever is making you up right now, all of that past conditioning expressed itself by raising your hand and saying what you said, same thing here. So mindfulness is being aware of nature, both external but also internal, in terms of the different dispositions and tendencies of this mind, this personality. So we're not um, controlling it, we're aware so as much as I can be, I'm being aware, sensitive, to what's going on right now. So both hearing what is being said, but also uh, interested and aware of any motivation and the mood or qualities in the mind and how the body is. And it, 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 isn't, it sounds like it's really confusing, like, oh, I've got to pay attention to all of that. But remember, the mind is naturally sensitive. Do you have to personally try to hear my voice right now? Are you like back there somewhere in the control center, like personally trying to attend to my voice? No. It's more about like when neurotic activity is settled down, hearing what I have to say, hearing my voice, and comprehending what the meaning of the words that I'm saying, all of that happens naturally. It's nature doing all that stuff. Yeah. Yeah yeah it's a good question, and you know, like a lot of good questions, not, there's not an exact question it's more of an art. Generally, in the beginning, it's better to emphasize the anchor because it doesn't hurt, there's no harm in uh, cultivating a really close friendship with that, so that it would take a pretty strong experience, pretty strong memory, pretty strong sound, a pretty strong sensation in the body, to interrupt that continuity of attention with the breath or with the anchor. So if you don't have any clarity, that's kind of the point I would look for. So at one end of the spectrum, it's like you never leave the anchor. No matter what else arises around you, the building's burning down, you're there, right? So that's one end of the spectrum. The other end of the spectrum is you don't have an anchor. So whatever's predominant in the moment, you, the attention goes there. So generally, uh, not everybody, but generally people beginning their practice are aiming somewhere over here, not to the nth degree, but you're really making your anchor like the breath or body sensations or hearing, so whichever of those three you're working with, a close friend, and you're directing your attention there in a relaxed way, but persistent, you keep coming back to that, goes away, you come back. Jack Cornfield has the image of a puppy. I've never raised a puppy, but evidently, when you're training the puppy not to pee on your carpet, you know, you keep carrying it, putting it on the newspaper or carrying it outside, you know. And you don't get angry at the puppy because the puppy doesn't know about where it's supposed to pee or poop. You just keep doing it. Getting angry or frustrated doesn't help the puppy learn faster. Screaming at the puppy doesn't help. It's the same thing with the returning to the anchor. We just keep coming back, we keep coming back. But when something persistently pulls the attention away from the anchor, then after a few times, it's probably better, instead of struggling to get back to the breath, it's better to simply acknowledge this is what's predominant now. So, honey, whether you like it or not, this is your meditation object, the pain in your knee or this disturbing thought. So you don't, then at some point you give up on your anchor for a while and you let what's predominant arise. Now, not to think about it or get lost in it, but as best you can, even though it may not be easy, even though you may not be successful, as best you can, you're trying to see it as a phenomena that is arising and passing on its own, that it's just something being known. And this is, especially with a strong disturbance, where a label or a note can really help. Oh, it's just this very sharp pain, and it's like this. It's just this, just sensation being known, just intense sensation being known. Well, can this be okay? It doesn't feel okay. Well, can it be okay that you're overwhelmed? You know, Being overwhelmed is like this. Can that be okay? Feeling you don't know what you're doing is like this. Can that be okay? So you're just hanging in there as best you can, trying to sustain some thread of mindful awareness so you're not getting completely lost in some reactive pattern, absorbed, spinning. And then when that hull cools down, let's say it does cool down, then come back to the anchor and practice, use that training ground. Now, at some point, when you understand the practice, you have a sense of understanding the practice, experiment more at this end. So sometimes, like with beginners, I'll even say, save the last three, four, five minutes and do an open attention practice where you're not cultivating a reliance on your anchor, but you're just letting the awareness, the mindful awareness attune to whatever is predominant in that moment. So maybe a moment of knowing the knee, knowing the knee, noticing that you don't like the pain in the knee, noticing that, noticing the whole body sitting, Noticing the whole body sitting, hearing, hearing, breathing in is like this, breathing out is like this. So you're not holding the attention or redirecting the attention back to one object, but basically letting it know whatever it's inclined to know, whatever we call that predominant, like it's presenting itself sort of in front, so then the mind just knows that experience, whether it's a thought, an emotion, a sound, a sight, a sensation, So it's nice to practice over here because that's more like daily life practice where you're not using an anchor as much when you're sort of going about the day. So to end your sit with a few minutes over here can be skillful. Because every day, if you do that every day for a long time, you start getting good at open attention practice. And then some people who've been practicing for a while, this is how they practice just over here. They don't use an anchor very much. Other people are more kind of in the middle where they have an anchor... And when things are a little rough and they don't have enough balance to look at what's rough, what's disturbing, they really use the anchor. And they've got some momentum with that anchor so they can really be there. But when there's enough balance, they they practice not being reliant on it. So it's more sort of depending on how much steadiness there is in the mindfulness. When there's a lot of steadiness, less reliance on the anchor. When there's not that much steadiness, more reliance on the anchor because Sustaining with the anchor will develop steadiness, what we call samadhi. You'll get more like centered or grounded or present, and then that steadiness then we can use when more disturbing things come. So I don't have a specific answer, but that will, you know, there's a lot in the practice that's about self-reliance and independence. And we need to leave it here. It's nine o'clock. Next week, week five, you might want to read through the instructions on loving kindness. It's in the intro packet. If you don't know where that is, you can see me and I'll let you know. And if you have a few minutes, all the folding chairs go down the stairs to the right and to the right. So I'll see you next Tuesday night. This talk, like all programs at Common Ground, is offered freely in the spirit of generosity. To learn more about Common Ground and its programs, or if you would like to donate, please visit our website